Father, we thank you that you are sovereign over uh, all the days of our lives, and we've had a break here over the summer in our study, and uh, life changes a little bit for those of us, especially with kids in school, and the pace changes, and uh, it's just a different season. But now we're into another season, and we've got that uh, we got that nice nip in the air here the last couple of days. It tells us it falls on the way. Christmas will be here before we know it. I mean, we'll look up in two weeks, and here it is. And then we're going to be into January. And before we know it, Easter is going to be on its way. Life is moving so rapidly. It, it's just stunningly. Um, it, it's shocking how fast life moves. We want to make sure, Lord, that as we are moving through life so rapidly that we are following very closely in your footsteps. There is a trail of righteousness that you've laid out before us. We don't want to waste our lives. We don't want to screw up with our lives. Uh, we've all done that already in different ways. But we want to follow you. We want to finish strong. We want to be men of wisdom. And as we kick off this new... In a sense, year, it's a school year, but as we kick it off, we ask that you'll uh, instruct us. We would pray for ourselves that you'd give us teachable hearts. I pray for every one of us, Lord, that the blind spots that we have, that we can't see, and we all have them, those areas that we have been blind to, and maybe as a result of being blind, we have been hurting those who are close to us, and we don't mean to do that. But I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see what those areas are so that we could grow, so that we could become better men, so that perhaps we could fix some things where relationships are broken because of what we did that we didn't see. Uh, none of us have arrived. We are, we, we are real aware of that. So that's why we're here, to look into your book. Instruct us. Give us what we need. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a best-selling book out right now. And the subject <clears throat> is not a novel. It's not a Tom Clancy novel. It's not the Da Vinci Code. Uh, it's not... Um, uh, it, it's, it's not uh, about swift boats... It's, it's not about pleasure boats. Uh, believe it or not, it's about punctuation. And uh, the book is called Eats, Shoots, and Leaves. Uh, why would a book on punctuation be a bestseller? And where does that title come from? Eats, Shoots, and Leaves. It, it's explained on the back, and it's making a point about the importance of punctuation. A panda walks into a cafe... He orders a sandwich, eats it, and then draws a gun and fires two shots in the air. The confused waiter says, why? Why are you doing this? As the panda makes his way towards the exit, the panda produces a badly punctuated wildlife manual and tosses it over his shoulder. He says, I'm a panda. As he heads for the door, look it up. The waiter turns to the relevant entry and sure enough finds an explanation. Panda, large, black, and white, bear-like mammal, native to China, eats, shoots, and leaves. <laughs> now, the way it's written is eats, comma, shoots, comma, and leaves. That's not what pandas are supposed to do. See, what pandas do are they eat shoots and leaves. Do you see the difference that punctuation can make? <clears throat> We're all teachers. Some of us teach for a living. Uh, some of you work for a living. Some of you have real jobs. 
But if you're a husband and if you're a father, you're a teacher. And we all know that there are two ways to teach. You can teach with your words, that's fairly easy. But the more difficult way to teach and the more effective way to teach is to teach with your life. You're a teacher. Catch this. Your integrity is to your teaching what punctuation is to a sentence. The right punctuation clarifies the message of the sentence. A man with integrity who lives out what he teaches clarifies his teaching. We're going to do Proverbs. We tend to look at Proverbs as a, as a big buffet. You ever go to these Sunday buffets? They'll put on these, these big deals. Uh, or you go to the Golden Corral. And, and you know, what's a buffet? I mean, they, they got food lined up everywhere. I'd never been on a cruise before. And that was really unique. Because it's just one big floating buffet. They, they uh, one night they were talking about the different questions. I, I was a first-time cruise guy. I, you know, I never been on a cruise, and they were talking about some of the stupid questions that they get on cruises. Uh, do these stairs go up or down? Uh, well, usually, if if you can see they're going up, they they probably go up. But you know, when you're on a cruise, everything's just different. Uh, uh, what time is the midnight buffet? Uh, well, it, it, uh, we usually start it right around midnight. But, but, but what's interesting about these midnight buffets is they're running buffets 24 hours. You see? Uh, you know the thing about a buffet. You, you, just, you can go back and back and you take a little of this and a little of this and a little of this. That's how we tend to approach the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is not a buffet. The book of Proverbs is a structured book written from an author to an intended, an intended audience. Proverbs is a book from a father to a son. Proverbs is a book all about fathering. It's a book uh, all about grandfathering. Uh, Proverbs starts off this way. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And he's going to give us the purpose of this. To know wisdom and instruction. To discern the sayings of understanding. To receive instruction in wise behavior. Uh, when you've got a son, sons, and you say, well, Steve, I don't have sons. I've got daughters. Well, it applies to daughters. Um, they, they put such an emphasis on sons because it was understood that sons were going to lead the family. Once a father died, who was going to step in and lead the family? The son was. Uh, that's why there's so much emphasis on sons. It's not that daughters aren't important, but son, a son was, be, was to be trained to take the leadership of the family when the father was to pass on. And as we saw in our study in the kings last year, none of the kings were tuned in to prepare their son to succeed them on the throne when they died. And as a result, the nation continued to go further and further into spiritual bankruptcy. No king that I can see other than David ever worked that it's mentioned, that it is outlined in the scripture. I can't see out of any of those kings that any of them other than David purposefully mentored a son to take his place. And David only did it after he screwed up with three of his other sons. He had to learn the hard way as most of us have to learn. We all make mistakes as fathers. All of us make mistakes. All of us wish we could go back and change things. All of us wish we could go back and undo things. All of us wish we could go back and change attitudes. And, and uh, we're just guys. We're just a bunch of guys. We don't know what the heck we're doing. By the time you figure it out, they're out of the house. Have you noticed this? 
By the time you get the wisdom and experience, see, that's why God gives you a second crack at it. You get to be a grandfather. You see, and you don't have to be the hard guy. You, you can be the good guy. That's kind of fun. Um, David blew it with three of his boys. It, it's sort of like he, he, he began to realize, listen, I've got to get this under control. And he got real focused, and he started focusing in on Solomon. Interestingly enough, it's Solomon who's writing Proverbs. The, the most important relationship, and this, this is a strong statement, there's no relationship more important than a father and son. I'll show you that in a little bit. That doesn't, say, that doesn't mean other relationships aren't important. Husband-wife relationship is critical. You've got to love her as Christ loves the church. I mean, that's a command. We have to do that. So we don't minimize our responsibilities to our wives. We don't minimize our responsibility to our daughters. Because we have a tremendous impact and influence on our daughters. And they're tender. And they're not like us. And we can uh, hurt them and not even realize it. Because we're, we're so different. That's a very, very important relationship. But the father and son relationship is critical. Absolutely critical. On the cruise that I was on, Dobson told a story. I'd heard the story before, but I had forgotten it. <clears throat> His father, James Dobson Sr., was, the, um, was an evangelist, and in their denomination, he was the evangelist that was in more demand than any other evangelist. Uh, his father, to get his father to come and hold a series of meetings at your church, you'd have to book him four years in advance. He was a powerful, powerful preacher. He led thousands to Christ. And uh, they developed a pattern that seemed to work well for their family. Uh, Jim Dobson is, is an only child. And the pattern was that his father, and this is the way it used to be, you know, what, 40, 50 years ago, and they had a lot of revival services. His dad would go out for two weeks and minister, and then his dad would come home for two weeks. Two weeks out, two weeks home. Seemed to work pretty well until Jim Dobson hit 16. And as he told this story that night, um, it really gave you some insight to the importance of his father in his life. Uh, suddenly he shot up and he was six foot two. And he's home with his mom, and uh, he's in high school, and he's feeling his oats. And the arrangement that had been working very well suddenly was not working well because uh, he started to resent his mom, and he started not to appreciate her input. And, and you know how that goes. You guys remember those years. And just the normal, natural stuff that happens is a boy is transforming into a man. There's a transition there. And sometimes it's hard for moms because they weren't a boy, obviously, and they don't know what that's like, and everyone's doing the best that they can do. Well, they're starting to get into a lot of arguments, and they're starting to get into a lot of difficulty, and there's starting to be some uh, uh, conflict. And one night it got so bad that she told Jim Dobson to go into his room, 16 years old, he did. She picked up the phone and called his father. Uh, she did not realize that he was in the other room listening to what she was saying to his father because he was real interested in what his father was going to do. He said it was a very brief conversation. My mother explained that we just had the latest in a series of arguments very briefly, and then she said, I need you to come home. And it became very apparent that... Uh, my father was coming home. And what my dad did was, my dad canceled those meetings. He came home. Two days later, he put a for sale sign up in front of our house. <clears throat> he canceled all the rest of his meetings for the next four years. And he took the pastorate of a small church in South Texas, and we moved. And for the next two years that he had me at home, he mentored me. And then he went on and said this. Then I went off to college. He said, you know what was interesting? He said, um, 
my, my dad's ministry was never quite the same. Those two years, he was out. He was pastoring a small little church in an obscure town. He kind of got off the circuit, and a lot of the older pastors had retired in that two years, and some of the younger guys weren't aware of my dad. And, and quite frankly, the ministry that he had, he never had it again. Not like that. It's not that God didn't use him, but he didn't have the notoriety, he didn't have the acclaim. Quite frankly, he didn't have the crowd. But I'm sure glad my dad did it. You know what struck me when I heard that story? There was a guy that understood the scriptures. And he realized that his first ministry was not out there. His first ministry was home. And his wife needed him. So what did he do? He came home and he focused on his family. Never dreaming what the consequences of that decision would be. He mentored a son who has, as you know, had quite an effect and quite an impact. Uh, there's great wisdom in that. He, he had a son who needed to learn wise behavior. Sons don't start out with wise behavior. Uh, sons start out with foolish behavior. Can you believe you've stayed alive as long as you have? <laughs> Can you believe you made it through high school alive? All of us should have been dead at least twice in high school. Maybe three times. Driving 140 miles an hour down a freeway? I mean, we've all done that. In reverse. <laughs> I mean, we're nuts. How, how did, it's the grace of God that we ever stayed alive. Why? Because we don't know anything about wise behavior. See, that's why sons need fathers. What, is, what does that verse say there? It says, it says in verse 3, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive. Kids think they know it all. They don't, they don't know it all. They don't know anything. They're naive. They just think they know it all. Yeah, I know, Dad. I know. I know. I know. Well, no, you don't know. You just think you know. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. Proverbs is not a buffet. Proverbs is a set of godly principles that are designed to impart wisdom from a father to a son. I want to show this to you. Proverbs is about a father teaching his son. It's about him instructing his son. Uh, notice if you will, I'm going to go real fast. I'm going to show this to you. One eight. Hear my son, your father's instructions. Look at verse 10. My son, verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with him. Chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words. Chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. Chapter 3, verse 11. My son, do not reject, reject the discipline of the Lord. Verse 21. My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hero sons, the instruction of a father. This isn't a buffet. It's a father teaching his son about how to skillfully live life. Chapter 4, verse 10. Hear my son and accept my sayings. Chapter 20, uh, verse 20. Same chapter. My son, give attention to my words. Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, give attention to my wisdom. You guys starting to get the drift of this? Chapter 5, verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me. What does he want to instruct him about? Well, well look, at, look at verse 15 and 5. Drink water from your own cistern. Fresh water from your own well. What are we talking about here? Water purification? That's what he's talking about. 
He's getting ready to talk to him about sex. He's getting ready to talk to him about things like masturbation. He's getting ready to talk to him about, you know, women that are out there, getting involved with women. What kind of women you get involved with? Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the street? Let them be yours alone, not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. He's imparting wisdom to a son who doesn't have wisdom. Young boys feel their oats. Young boys are at their sexual peak. And in our culture, it used to be that the average age to get married was 18 or 19 years old. It was that way for generations. Now marriage is put off to what? 26, 27, 28, 29, 30? That's not uncommon in our day and age. Well, you've got a young man who's at his sexual peak. How's he going to handle that? If he doesn't get some instruction from his father, he's not going to handle it very well. He's going to have some real problems. He's going to create some real difficulty for himself. That's where a father needs to step in. But that's where fathers don't want to step in. You'll talk to your son about anything except that. Why? Well, because he might ask you how you did it. And we get intimidated. Because none of us did it perfectly and none of us did it right. And we're ashamed that we might have to reveal that we failed. But you know what sons need to know? I'm just going to ignore that. Nobody wants to talk to their son about sex. How many of you guys have sons at home that are eight years old and under? Under eight years old. Okay, if you've got a boy that's six, seven, eight years old, you need to start having conversations with him. You, you, you say, no, that's too early. No, it isn't. Not in this culture. He knows stuff you have no idea that he knows. Uh, really, it's sad. Because, see, in this culture, with all the stuff, he said, well, my kid goes to a Christian school. So? What does that mean? All that means is that his folks go to church somewhere and get the money to pay private tuition. He's probably still watching MTV. You think his dad's talking to him? I doubt it. What do you think they're getting on the computer and doing when you're not around? See, what we're doing in this culture is robbing children of their innocence. And they can't emotionally handle what they're being exposed to. So you've got to get to him before his peers do. And then once you say, so I couldn't do that. Sure you could do it. You just don't want to do it. But you have to, you've you got to do it. You know what's amazing to me? Fathers don't want to talk to their sons about sex, but everybody else wants to. There are all kinds of people that want to talk to your son about sex. But the guy who needs to talk to him, it's, it's where we, we want to back up 10 yards and punt. Run him down to Planned Parenthood. They'll talk to him. They'll show him how to do it. They'll talk to him about abstinence. And they'll tell him abstinence is everything except penetration. I don't think you want to do that. He needs to hear it from you. He needs to hear about masturbation before he ever thinks about masturbation. Before he even knows it's, it's, it's even out there. He needs to hear it from you. Some of you guys are already sweating. But see, that's your job. You're his dad. Why not hear it from you? Why not get him ready? Why not prepare him? You, you, you know what good coaches do? Coaches prepare their teams for situations before the situation ever occurs. Why don't you do that with your son? Is he going to face this situation and this situation and that situation? Yeah. Why don't you prepare him in advance and tell him that one day it's going to come and talk to him? And see, some of you guys say, man, I wish I had done that. I, I know, we all wish we had done certain things. There are things, that, you know what, I realized over the last few years, I completely missed as a dad. I just missed them. I didn't mean to miss them. I just wasn't aware of them. We, we've all done it. So you can kick yourself all day for where you screwed up. But see, the question is, where do we go from here? And, and you say, well, see, see, see you know, my, my, my son's grown up and he's out of the house. Well, he's still your son. I mean, do you stop having a relationship with him? 
No. It's just a different kind of relationship. But he still needs you, and he needs your wisdom. So what is he, 27? Has he ever been 27 before? No. Have you? Yeah. You've been 27. Hey, I've never been 54 before. Quite frankly, I really don't like it. But I'm stuck. Now, my dad's been 54. So you know what? I mean, I, I, I mean I'll still talk to my dad about stuff. Because, see, he's been 54, and he's been at this stage in life, and I haven't. So why not talk to him if he's been through this? If he's been down this stretch of trail, why not ask him what it's like? You see. <clears throat> and see, what's happened is, for some of you guys, this is painful because, because there's a breach. And there's a break. And there's a separation. And it's really hard because you got a problem there and your son, maybe he doesn't want to talk with you. Well, I'll tell you something. That's the work of the enemy. That's what the enemy wants to do. Proverbs is about a father connecting with his son. There's nothing more important. There are some things in Scripture just as important in terms of family relationships. Nothing more important than a father with his son. Turn with me to the uh, Italian prophet, Malachi. The last, uh, the last chapter of the Old Testament. If you're in Matthew, go left. You'll, found, you'll, find, you'll find Malachi. And uh, Malachi closed the Old Testament. And, you know, Mal- uh, uh, Matthew begins the New Testament... Malachi 4 ends it. I've got one page separating the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew in my Bible. That one page represents 400 years of silence. There's a 400-year gap between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew. For 400 years, God didn't speak. 400 years of silence. There are a lot of things God could have talked about. I mean, if you're not going to speak for 400 years, what would you say if you were God? You could have talked about a lot of things. You could have talked about the Messiah who was coming. You could have talked about the establishment of the church and the Jews and Gentiles who are separate, no longer will be separate. All kinds of things you could have talked about if, you're going to, if you were God and you were going to be silent for 400 years. Here's what God had to say. Last words for 400 years. Malachi 4, verse 6. Actually, 5. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. The very last thing that God talks about, closing the Old Testament, he's not going to speak for 400 more years, he talks about fathers and their children. That's how important this is to God. And if you flip over to Luke chapter 1, verse 17, Figuratively speaking, John the Baptist came as Elijah, in a sense, fulfilling what Elijah had done. If you look at Luke 1, verse 17, it refers to the Malachi verse. Speaking of John the Baptist, uh, pick up 16. He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So he's going to be the forerunner of Christ. Now catch this to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Uh, What the Lord wants to do is he wants to heal the breach that develops between fathers and sons and fathers and daughters. Probably 1988, I was in the shower one morning and I was thinking about the fact that to have a good family is very, very difficult because it's, it's like a war has been declared on the family. And, and that's when it hit me that morning in the shower that it's like being at war. And then I thought about guys at war. I thought about guys that are on patrol. I thought about a guy who's a point man. Some of you guys, you know what it is to be a point man because that's what you did. Uh, you were in, um, some of you guys maybe in World War II or in, in the Korean conflicts or, or some of you guys were in Vietnam. You walked the point. Um, see a gentleman back here who was in the Civil War 
<laughs> no, just, just kidding. But that term point man has been around a long time. Uh, it, 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 you're appointed that day to lead a small group of men. Maybe reconnaissance, but you're out in front. Well, that's what a husband and father is. You're not leading a group of men, you're leading your wife and your children. And the enemy wants to take you out. There are two ways the enemy will try to take out you and your family. Number one, here's what he'll do. He will try to alienate and eventually sever the relationship that you enjoy with your wife. He's going to go after the relationship between you and your wife. You want to have a good family? You want to have a godly family? Count on it. He's going to try and get a wedge between you and your wife. And he's going to try and drive it and get it a chasm and get it wide and get a breach so that your marriage will wind up in divorce. That's what he wants for your marriage. That's what he wants for my marriage. Secondly, he wants to alienate and sever the relationship that you enjoy with your kids. Same thing. Wants to do with your wife. Wants to get a wedge between you and your son. Wants to get a wedge between you and your daughter. And he wants to drive that thing and get unresolved conflict and hurt feelings and things are ignored and things aren't dealt with and then things go deeper and then it gets more difficult and the chasm gets wider and wider and wider and wider. That's the work of the enemy. And, and we should not be surprised when these things happen in our homes. We should not be surprised when these things happen to us because these are spiritual issues. And see, these are the very things that when, when, when John the Baptist came, not only did he make a way for Christ, but it was through his ministry that the hearts of the fathers began to turn back to their children and the children back. Why? Because God doesn't want those breaches. We deal with them. Kids go through different things. Kids do stupid things. Kids make stupid decisions. Kids do things that will hurt them in the long run and they don't think of the consequences. That's what kids do. But kids grow up sometimes. And, and, and it's, possible, it's possible that we lose heart because we, we have, we, you have a, a son or a daughter and they're in their 20s or in their 30s and you're thinking to yourself, they're never going to come around. You don't know that. You don't know that at all. You're just having trouble keeping hope because they seem to be in a downward spiral. Well, sometimes someone has to keep going. They've got to hit ground zero. They've got to hit the bottom floor before they're going to look up. Maybe they're not there now. So what do you do? You keep praying. You, you keep in, in communication. You do what you can do. Prodigals have a way of coming back. There's a reason God has that story in the Bible. It's to give hope to the parents who are grieving, who are kicking themselves for all the mistakes they made. Well, we've all made mistakes. But you know it's God's will for that to be healed. So what do you do? You pray. You say, Lord, what, is there anything I can do? Is there anything I have done? that I haven't resolved. Do I need to go to them or, or, and, 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 and talk to your wife? Get some input from someone who knows you well. S see what they say. If you need to take a, a step, take it. If you need to back off, back off. See, there's no magic to this. Y you need the Lord to navigate you through this because, I mean, nobody knows how to do it. But you know that it's pleasing to Him to put families together. Father-son relationship. Father-daughter relationship. This stuff, this stuff is critical. We're in trouble as a nation. We all know that. One of the reasons we're in trouble is because we've lost our fathers. David Blankenhorn wrote a book maybe six, seven, eight years ago now called Fatherless America, and he made the statement in that book that tonight 40% of all the children in America will go to sleep under a roof where their father is not present. Because what's happening in America is that the fathers are being separated from the children. And it's happening in the evangelical church. The divorce rate in the evangelical church is slightly higher than the country at large. When divorce happens, it takes a father away from his children. Proverbs is about being connected. And you say, Steve, well, you know what? I'm not sure I'm coming back to this thing because my kids are raised and they're out of the house. And all right, you're a grandfather then. Is that what you're telling me? No, I'm not a grandfather, but my kids are in their 20s and 30s and 40s. 
you're still a father. It's not the same as when they were 15, but you're still a father. That's a valuable relationship. You can learn from them, and they can learn from you. But I'll tell you, no matter what age you are, you know what's important? Is that you be connected. Connected. Just thought I'd check it out, see what time it was. find my stuff. This guy named Douglas Wilson, he writes some pretty good stuff. He's a pastor up in Idaho. Um, he's talking about the Malachi verse we just looked at. He says, one of the great marks of a true God-given reformation is the characteristic described here by the prophet Malachi. The hearts of fathers are turned to their children. The hearts of children are turned to their fathers. This characteristic is not at odds with correct theology. Rather, it depends on it and then he goes on and he talks about a debate that's going on in his denomination about correct theology or false theology uh, and, and basically what he's saying is is that this is good theology fathers want God wants fathers to be connected uh, that's important and we all know it's important in our hearts um He goes on and he says this. He's a Presbyterian guy. He says, If I have memorized all of the Westminster Larger Catechism but speak harshly to my wife, then as the Apostle Paul noted, my theology is just so much hot air. See, this, this is the deal, guys. This, this theology and this belief system that we have, it has to be lived out at home. And this is, what's, this, this is, this is what is so difficult. You want to teach. You want to impart truth. But what happens is, is that we get ourselves in trouble because we let our guard down at home. We do real well here. I'm really nice here. I'm really pleasant here. Uh, I'm easy to get along with here. I don't think I've ever yelled at anybody in this room. Have I? Have I yelled at you? No, I'm getting ready to yell at you, but I don't believe I have up to this point. Um, but boy, you let me get home, and I'll tell you what, I let my guard down. It's easy to be spiritual here. It's easy to be nice here. It's easy to be kind here. But you know what? I can go home, and in a weak moment, and I'm tired, I can blast Mary right out of the kitchen. I don't mean to, but I can, and I can hurt her, and I have hurt her. Do I want to hurt her? No, but I can't. And then I've got a daughter who's 25. And see, if I don't watch my temper, and if I give myself permission all the time to be harsh and to be unloving and to be unkind, then do I want to have my daughter thinking, well, I don't want to marry a guy like my dad? See, that's what happens if you don't put a lid on it. If you don't control it. See, these things have ramifications. These things have consequences. This is where Christianity is to be lived out, is at home. And it's the hardest thing in the world. That's where it's so hard to live out. That, that's, why, that's why Wilson is... Uh, gosh. I, I mean, this, this is what happens. Uh, we, we live two lives. They see us one way at church and they see us another way at home. You know what's interesting to me about Solomon? Um, he wrote some great stuff. He wrote some amazing stuff. Um, turn with me, if you would, to First um, Kings 11. We get sort of a cliff note description of Solomon. He was used by the Holy Spirit to write Scripture. You know that. In 1 Kings 11, though, we begin to get a rundown on what happened to Solomon. Because Solomon had a great start, 
but Solomon soon thereafter began to deviate. Let me just read 1 Kings 11. Now Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they shall surely turn your heart away from uh, after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. Now, here's what's interesting about Solomon. Solomon wrote some great stuff in Proverbs. He wrote it under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's all true. There's great wisdom. But the sad thing about Solomon is that Solomon departed from what he taught. Solomon departed from what he believed. Solomon undercut himself with his own son because what happened was his son Rehoboam, and some of you guys were here last year when we studied Rehoboam, when Solomon died and his son Rehoboam took the throne to succeed his father, Rehoboam split the nation in three days. In three days. Because what happened was Solomon wrote some great stuff. Oh my son, oh my son, oh my son. But apparently Solomon never applied this truth of the Holy Spirit in his relationship to his son. Does that take away from the fact it's true? No, it's true. And it works. But apparently he ignored it. When you look at Solomon's life, God used him as an instrument to teach truth, but Solomon let his guard down and didn't apply the truth in his own personal life. Uh, What's this stuff about foreign wives? God was very clear that the king of Israel is to have one wife. And he's not to have a wife from a foreign nation because wives from foreign nations have foreign gods. Now the reason they have all these wives is that's how they did a political alliance. They didn't have the United Nations. So the way you'd work out a peace deal is that you'd go work a deal with this king and you'd marry his daughter. And it was kind of a peace thing. But it goes deeper than that. Solomon had sexual issues in his life that he never dealt with. Because you see, and some people say, oh he had all those wives for political reasons. Well he had 700 wives. It's a lot of wives. He had a lot of political alliances. I mean, this, this, guy was, uh, uh, this guy was in the coalitions. He, he was big time on making friends. Uh, he didn't have a sexual problem. That was a political problem. No, he had a sexual problem because on top of the 700 wives, he had 300 concubines. And he didn't have those concubines to extend world peace. That was a sexual issue. He wrote some great stuff we can look at it, we can benefit from it, it's true, it's valuable. He just didn't implement it. He ignored what God said about foreign women. And what happened was, he held fast to them in love and they turned his heart away from the Lord. He had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines. His wives turned their heart, his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. His heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. This was a heart issue for Solomon. He had some great stuff to say. It just never took root in his heart. Then Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. There was a disconnect in his own life. Um, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Uh, they, they, would, they would do child sacrifice. They would take little children, baby children, and they'd throw them into the fire. Solomon allowed that to happen under his watch. Might have happened with his kids from these foreign wives. We don't know. That's how far gone this guy... And what's so amazing about this, look at verse 9. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Twice he'd been in the presence of God. Can you imagine that? In the presence of Almighty Holy God. And he winds up building idols for sacrifice and babies. See, it's, it's, guys, it's, it's very, very possible to know truth. It's very, very possible to teach truth. But it's also very, very possible to not take truth and apply it in your own life, in your own heart, to the personal situations that you deal with on a daily basis. 
Let me say this to you. It's very difficult to mentor sons when you are teaching truth and disobeying it at the same time. You can't do it. Can you? you got, you're, you're, cutting, you're, you're, cutting the, you're cutting the legs out from under you. See, this is... You know what this is? This is an integrity issue. You can't mentor. You, you cannot be the father that God wants you to be. You cannot be the grandfather that God wants you to be. Hey, listen. Grandfathers can have a remarkable impact. Remarkable. The influence that you can have as a grandfather is, is stunning. But these kids have got radar, don't they? They can see through crap. They know when we're one way there and this way here. And when that happens, and it happens to all of us, see, the question is, what do you do? Do you let it go? Do you excuse yourself? Do you ignore it? Are you too, pr too proud to admit If, have you ever been broken before your, before your kids? They've ever seen you cry because you hurt them? Or you hurt their mom? See, when they see a broken heart and they see a broken spirit from a father who's screwed up, you're going to heal a breach. Because they know that's authentic. They don't expect us to be perfect. But they would sure appreciate it if we'd be honest. You can't mentor without integrity. You can't do it. What, what, what is integrity? In, integrity is congruency. Integrity is, uh, wasn't it o Oklahoma, Missouri a couple of years ago? Up on an interstate, a bridge washed out. Was it Oklahoma, bridge washed out or something? You were there. Okay. Well, I remember reading about that, and then, of course, in the next couple of days they got engineers and everything and what they were doing they were trying to they were doing analysis to they, they were trying to analyze what happened in terms of the integrity of the structure because you see integrity broke down and when integrity broke down the bridge collapsed and people were killed uh, when there's no integrity in the structure when there's when the, when there's not congruency when the parts don't fit you have a collapse that's what happens in our lives um, Psalm 15 is all about integrity. Um, let's turn there in the remaining minutes. You guys, you got get a couple more minutes? Let's go to Psalm 15. Psalm 15 is all about integrity. We've talked about it in here before, Psalm 15, but I want to refer to it again. Psalm 15 is about the kind of integrity that God expects from those men in his family. Oh Lord, who may... And here's my point. Solomon lost the integrity. He had great things to say. And once again, what Solomon wrote by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is true. It's like in Philippians 1, where Paul says there are some that are preaching out of jealousy, out of ambition, but he was okay with that because they were preaching the gospel. If someone's preaching the gospel, they may have bad motives, but the gospel is still the gospel. It's truth. Solomon, what Solomon wrote is true. It's the word of God. But in his own life, he didn't have the integrity to put it to work in his own life, and he wound up shipwrecking his life. Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He's talking about those in the family of God. You guys who are at Promise Keepers and heard me do this talk, I'm going to just cover it again real quick. Not as long as I did there. But I'm going to highlight it. Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who lives in your tent? Say, I don't have a tent. Well, what do you have? You got a house? Well, who lives in your house? Family members live in your house. He's talking about family stuff here. Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your hill? Who lives on your property? Family. This is family stuff. Lord, who's in your family? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. 
Psalm 15 is all about integrity. There is no integrity without truth. No integrity. So when a contractor takes a bid and there are kickbacks and as a result the materials that he said he was going to use that are of a certain grade and he doesn't use them in order to save money what he has done is compromise the integrity of the structure and I don't know if that happened in Oklahoma I'm just talking out loud here but when that happens buildings can collapse someone has sacrificed when codes are violated when earthquake codes are violated things collapse because the integrity has been violated there is no integrity without truth no integrity we're losing truth everywhere in our culture everywhere we're losing truth did you know there is no absolute truth well that's true but you're getting me off on another point there there is no absolute truth and they say that absolutely but there is absolute truth there can be no integrity without truth none but see we live in a culture that is collapsing from within why because we're saying there is no truth Psalm 15 talks about all these different issues about integrity about speaking truth and truth from your heart see and and you know this comes down this comes down to mentoring Do, do we love the truth do we, do, is the truth in our, do we really want to be truthful? Do we want to speak the truth in our heart? Do you want to be truthful when no one's around? Do you, do you want to be clean with God when it's just you and God? When you're on the road? See, that's it. You, you saw that last year when that lady put that little girl in the back seat of the car and just started beating the tar out of her. You remember that? But before she started doing that, what did she do? She looked around. Well, why do you have to look around? The eyes of the Lord are in every place, the Bible says. She didn't see that camera. God sees everything. He's looking for men that will speak truth in their heart. He's looking for men that will speak truth when it's... That's what Psalm 15 is all about. I'll tell you guys something interesting that happened to me this summer. Um, you asked me about teaching promise keepers. And I taught three of them. And each time I taught, and I taught on integrity, um, I, I had something happen. I'd get a phone call. I'd get a phone call from one of the guys in the office at PK. And he would say to me, he would say, um, we, we got a little bit of flack from your talk. I said, good. Uh, well, I said, well, how, how do you know you got flack? He said, well, we, 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 uh, we did an uh, evaluation. We did like an exit poll. And here's, here's what we had some guys say. I said, great. And then he began to talk to me about changing what I had to say. Now, what I had said related to verse 4. Verse 4 says that a man of integrity, it says, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. On Friday night, PK's been doing a big thing on everybody get out to vote. And uh, in fact, they even prayed for everybody that God would give everybody wisdom on how to vote. It's a a great thing. We live in a free country. If you can vote, vote. So Lord, give us wisdom on how to vote. So the next morning when I'm teaching on Psalm 15 and I get to verse 4, I said, you know what's great about verse 4? It answers our prayer. Because last night we asked God to give us wisdom on how to vote. And you know what? It tells you how to vote. It's right in the text. It's right in the Word of God. It says, a man of integrity, and I'm not telling you how to vote. And I'm not telling you to vote Democrat or Republican or this guy. I'm just saying you take the Word of God. See, if you're a man of integrity, you're going to speak truth in your heart in the dark. When you slide a curtain behind you, it's you and the Lord and truth. So what does this say? It says, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised. Now most of us are shocked the word reprobate is even in the Bible. That's offensive. What is a reprobate? Reprobate is someone who is against God, they're rebellious to God, 
they hate God, they hate God's word, they hate his truth, they're in rebellion, and they're trying to spread rebellion and anarchy against the word of God. They hate God, they hate God's people. That's a reprobate. Now see, we got a little bit of a problem because in our culture, we are told that we are to approve of reprobates and we are to accept them. Now, do they need the gospel? Do they need Christ? Absolutely. But I'm, I'm told I'm supposed to approve. I'm not supposed to approve. What they do, the activity, is to be despised. And see, that didn't fly in our culture. Because, even some of you guys are getting a little uncomfortable right now. Because we have been so desensitized to the holiness of God. Those people need Christ. Don't misunderstand me. And you're not rude and you're not arrogant with them. But their behavior is reprehensible. In whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. So then, in my talk, I said last night we prayed that God would give us wisdom on how to vote. This verse tells you how to vote. Now let me give you an example. When you go in to vote, you may be personally opposed to abortion. You may be personally opposed to what we call partial birth abortion. Partial birth abortion is live birth abortion. You take a full-term baby, perfectly healthy, coming out of the womb, nine months. Doctor takes scissors, jams it in their head. Takes a catheter, sticks it into the cavity, sucks out their brains. That's partial birth abortion. That's murder. Now you may be personally opposed to that. But, when you walk in to vote, let me ask you something. Do you despise reprobates, or do you vote for them? Now why would you vote for them? You know why guys would vote for a reprobate? Because of their wallet. Because, yeah, I don't personally agree with that, but I like that guy's economic policies. I'm not pleased with what's happening in the economy. It's the economy. It's not the economy. It's truth. And it's holiness. And it's righteousness. Well, I'm personally opposed to that. But, but you'll vote for a guy that supports slaughtering children like that. The next verse says... Or verse 5 says, he does not take a bribe against the innocent. I said, let me say something to you guys. If you're personally opposed to abortion, but you walk in to vote for a guy that supports abortion and slaughtering children, let me tell you something. Those children are innocent. Those children can't defend themselves. And if you vote for that guy because he will increase your economic prosperity, what you've just done is you've taken a bribe against the innocent and you've become an accessory to murder. Some of those guys didn't like that. Now, you know why they didn't like it? And maybe you don't like it. Well, I don't care if you like it. And I don't care if they like it. And I don't care what they said in their exit poll. I don't preach like Clinton governed. I don't read polls. Any preacher with assault Listen, the audience isn't sovereign. God is sovereign. Quite frankly, I don't care if you like it or not. The only thing I'm concerned about is it accurate to what the text says and that is to honor God and is it true? You don't want to be rude unnecessarily. You don't want to be fool. You guys hear what I'm saying? We're supposed to declare the word of God. This guy calls me up and says, well, we're getting all this flack. These guys don't like it. I said, you know why they don't like it? They're in sin. Well, I was thinking if you just changed your talk and maybe structured it this way. This happened three times. I was getting ready to go to San Antonio. Guy calls me three days before San Antonio. You know, Steve, we got some flack from Atlanta. And the problem was in Atlanta, four guys in a row got up and said the same thing. I found that really interesting. And basically, all four guys, nobody talked to each other. They basically said, when you get up and vote, vote the Bible. That's all anybody said. Just vote the Bible. Well, there's some guys that aren't voting the Bible. 
And they didn't like it. And, and see, they think, well, this guy will help me economically. Hey, why don't you trust God for your economic status? Why don't you seek first the kingdom of God instead of seeking it third or fourth? That guy can't help you. That party can't help you. When, when Abraham was called out to leave his land, he did. And the first thing that happened, he experienced famine. You know what he did? He went to Egypt. God never told him to go to Egypt. We get in trouble and we start seeking this and this. Why don't you seek the one who made Egypt? It says in the same verse, your father knows that you need all these things. Well, Steve, you could just structure that, you know, and just get over here. And if you do it this way, for about 10 minutes, he's so, he, and I said, you know, I got an idea. Here's my idea. <clears throat> Why don't you get up and give that talk? Because I won't be there. And I'm not changing You've asked me three times. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not asking. You, you know what? You are asking me. You just won't come out and say it. So I'm not going to be there. I resign. You get up and give it. Or get somebody else. Because I'm not giving it. Because you see, I have a son that was with me in Atlanta who was thrilled by what all four speakers said. He was so thrilled he bought four DVDs, came home, got his buddies on Saturday night, and they watched him until 2 o'clock in the morning. And all four guys are never basically saying the same thing. Be a man of integrity, be a man of courage, speak the truth. You do what's right, you honor God, he'll take care of your finances. You're asking me to go against my principles. I got a son who's watching me. And you know the reason I wouldn't do this? You know the reason I wouldn't do this? Be real honest. That's going to cost me money to not show up there. I'm going to lose money in, in, in book sales. And with that many guys, that can be pretty significant. I'm just being honest with you guys. So you see, I had to make a decision right there if I was going to trust him. Because I knew what would happen if I didn't trust him. Because I was counting on that money, but if I don't show up, that resource is going to, then where's that money going to come from? And I've got to write three college tuition checks that same week. So we're going to have the ushers come forward right now. <laughs> I don't know. How do I know? But you know what? They're all in school and somehow it worked out. I was scared to death for about 10 days. But you know what? I think it's all going to work out. I got kids watching me. You got kids watching you. You got grandkids. You know what I'm saying? Let's trust God. You say, Lord, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. This scares me to death. But Lord, I want you to, would you bless my life and bless my family? Because when I teach my kids, I want them to listen. I want them to feel that I listen to them. You guys get it, don't you? Lord, we bow before you. Our, our integrity is tested almost on a daily basis. And Lord, I, we all do pretty well until it gets to money. And that's where we start to lose it. Because that money gets in our hearts. And, and we've got to have it. I mean, we've got to pay a mortgage payment. We've got to pay bills. And we've got to have the money. And, and, and Lord, when it's going to cost us, it scares us to death. So Lord, would you, would you keep me from preaching to others what I won't do in my own life? Lord, help me to put the punctuation marks in the right place. And help me to, Lord, not put them where they don't need to be. So that the sentence can be clear. We don't want to wind up like Saul. We're not going to be famous like him or have that kind of money. We don't need all that stuff. We just need 
to walk with you. I, I pray for those guys who are here with broken hearts because uh, of, of the fragmentation in their homes right now. It just kills them at night. And they grieve. Lord, we, we come to you. If, if we could fix it, we would. If there's something we can do, would you show us? But Lord, ultimately, we ask you to do something great. Heal those broken hearts. Heal those broken relationships. Heal our families. We don't ask for money. We don't ask for success. We don't ask for this or that. Or we just ask you to heal our family. I have no greater joy than this than to see my children walking in the truth. Lord, if it takes 20 years, we'll pray. Maybe it'll happen after we're dead. That's okay. We'll keep trusting. Maybe we die without seeing the promise fulfilled. We'll just keep trusting. In Jesus' name we pray.